one of the biggest things that'll wreck a hunt, I would say, is especially up here, is you gotta have a solid hunting partner. And I tell everyone finding a good, solid hunting partner who's tough and who can hang and is not gonna quit fourth quarter and who's mentally strong between the ears is harder than it is to find a spouse. Like it is when that airplane leaves, there's something about people that changes. And it's it's a weird light switch, but I've seen it a lot. I've seen it when I drop people. I've seen it when I go with people. Your personality and your mentality changes it. Oh my goodness. We are in the middle of freaking nowhere. Welcome to the Stuck in Rut Podcast. Got him. Dropped him. Nice shot, buddy. We are excited to bring you our stories and hunting tips to elevate your outdoor adventures and experiences. We aim to uncover the real, raw strategies of do-it-yourself hunting that will bring your dreams to life and generate success. To follow along with our yearly hunts, subscribe to Stuck in the Rut on YouTube. Hey guys, today's podcast is all about do-it-yourself moose hunting, how to start planning one, and how to execute a hunt. We hope that this is helpful to anyone who wants to go on a do-it-yourself moose hunt in Alaska, or anyone who maybe has gone, and you would like a few more tips on how to do it, like how to choose a float hunt or a drop-off flying hunt. Whether you are out of state or in state and a moose hunt is already in the works or is still a distant dream for you, this episode will help you with that planning. We go over all the logistics of doing a hunt like this, from the legalities to the research, the preparation, the actual hunt with the necessary gear, and where to go from there. So, thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Stuck in the Rut podcast. Adam and I are sitting here today. Um, We're going to talk to you guys about how to plan a do-it-yourself moose hunt in Alaska. For some reason, that seems to be the species that we get the most questions about, and it's kind of everybody's dream, right, to come hunt these big animals up here? They're probably my favorite. I like I like sheep hunting a lot. I like it all, but coming from Rocky Mountain Elk being my favorite, I would say that a moose is just that on steroids to the next level. They're just big and bad and mean and just it's hard to kind of put into words and perspective. And if you research do-it-yourself moose, you're going to hear that theory a lot, but none of it really sinks in until you're standing next to one. They're so big. <laughs> I remember my first moose. We walked up to it, and I was just shaking my head like, this thing is gigantic. Coming from elk, too, you know, you're used to calling in animals, and up here, you know, there aren't that many animals you can really call in, but moose are fun. You can call moose, especially when they're in the rut. They're just tons of fun. They'll just walk right in and uh, planning on an archery this year, but we wanted to bring this to you guys now because it's spring. You know, you may still have some time to plan a moose hunt. I'm planning a moose hunt with a friend this fall that's coming up from the lower 48. So we figured we'd bring you guys these tips and just tell you what you need, how you can do it right, you know, and all the logistics from the legalities of moose hunting in Alaska, how to do the research, and along with doing the preparation, the actual hunt, and then the aftermath logistics of how to get the meat home and the horns and how to take care of all that stuff. So we just really want to bring this to you guys. Hopefully you're able to learn a lot from this. And yeah. Let's get started, Adam. So let's talk about everything you need to consider from start to finish, starting with what do you think is the number one thing 
that people overlook or wait till the last minute to do when it comes to a hunt out of state? I do want to preface that, you know, it's March right now. If you're trying to hunt 2020, probably not going to work. Usually a moose, planning for moose is three to five years. It's expensive. We'll get into that, but it's kind of a long-term logistical plan. Number one thing I think specific to Alaska that people overlook that we see non-residents and that that we had a struggle with is every state has a different set of hunting regulations and coming from Idaho, you buy a hunting license, you buy an elk tag and you go shoot an elk. Colorado may have just an elk license and you don't necessarily need the elk tag and it's all, it gets all convoluted and stuff when you're hunting multiple different states. Alaska has a draw that's already passed. That's due December 15th. So they have draw hunts. Those are prefaced with a D as in Delta. They have a harvest ticket you'll see in the hunting regulations of just HT. And that's basically anyone can get a harvest ticket. It's just something you print off. You pick it up at Fish and Game. You can pick it up at your local AC store. And it's just literally what you cut the day and the month out of for a harvest ticket. And then another kind of hunt that you can run into sometimes is what's called a registration hunt. And those are prefaced with RM, so like Romeo Mike, for registration in moose. And then usually a two or three digit number. And registrations are kind of over the counter. Sometimes they have a limited quota, but it's a way fishing game can monitor that population more so and different things in that way. So you need to start looking at the hunting regulations looking at what unit you're going to be. Alaska has 26 game management units. There's moose in a lot of them. And you can go online. Alaska has the Fish and Game website is the most comprehensive I've seen as far as research data, harvest statistic, days in the field, units, how you got there via transportation, stuff like that, and start figuring out where you want to go and narrow it down. And I would recommend anyone who wants to hunt in Alaska, take the fit... Alaska Fishing Game Regs and read every single word from the very front cover to the very back cover. There's a lot of good useful information there. You don't just flip to unit whatever, say 15, and say this is where I'm going to hunt. Read that section and good. There's a lot of stuff in the beginning. Regs change throughout the year. There's transportation proxy forms in the back. And Alaska Meat Salvage is one of the biggest violations that people get. And you need to research what unit you're going to be in what meat you need to take. We have the most strict meat salvage requirements of any state. And then does the meat need to stay on the bone of the quarters? Does it need to stay on the bone of the ribs? In some units, it's it needs to stay on the bone of the ribs before this day. And then after this day, you can bone it out. It's really technical. There's just so many different rules. So I would read the regulations book, like Adam said, front to back, and then reread it again and again. And a few more times just to make sure that you've got all of it right so that you're not getting out in the field and then you know troopers are everywhere they check you and you want to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row so you don't accidentally do something that's not legal yeah trooper it's it's crazy to think you're going in the middle of nowhere alaska and all of a sudden you're gonna have a helicopter land on you in the middle of a swamp when you just got flown out 100 miles from the nearest little village and dropped off but they will check you they do their job very effectively up here and they get out and about and bring those regs with you so you can reference them like i said there's proxy paperwork you need to fill out for air service or if someone's flying your meat out for you and there's going to be some bad weather days and you're just going to need some reading material anyway so have those with you (laughs) 
Yeah. So first thing you want to, so you want to read and research all of the regulations. You want to make sure that you get your harvest ticket and what are the actual legalities as far as size of animal? Can you just shoot any moose out there? Most likely not. Alaska does a really good, I guess a good process to manage their big game. And most units that I know about for a non-resident is going to be a 50 and 3 or a 50 and 4 unit, which means a bull to be legal has to be a bull, has to have 50 inch antlers minimum, has to be at least 50 or he can have three or four brow times on only one side. So if you're at a 50 and three, like we when we first hunted, it was a 50 and four unit, and I believe a resident was 50 and three, so you get one little advantage. Um, and that was just a harvest ticket. And so we were looking for a smasher bull of a moose or four, and the first one uh, our friend ended up shooting was 69, and he had four. So it was a slam dunk. We knew he had four brow times on one side. Doesn't, doesn't need four on both. He just has to have four. And I was actually listening to a podcast today while flying, and he was in a 50 and 3 unit, and the it was a small moose. It was like a 38, 40-inch. It had three brow tines. He shot the moose. The guy came to pick him up. He said, I can't fly that out. That's illegal because one of the brow tines wasn't – from the side, it looked good, but from the top – it wasn't quite a point. So you also need to read that book and define what is a point. Because that moose comes in, your adrenaline's pumping, and you've spent all this money to get up there. That's not a good time to figure out, oh, it's probably close enough. And I think they measure from the tip back one inch, and then at that point, they draw a line with a pencil, at least this guy did, and then they take and say, okay, is it wider than it is tall? Because it can't be. You know, you can't have a big elongated point that's only a half inch tall. They don't call yeah. that a point. And then you also need to define where does the palm start and where does the front palm start for brow time. So like yeah. I said, read the book. You just don't want to be on the edge. I was hunting with a guy, uh, one of my old bosses, and we were on this bull moose and we're looking at him. He's like, you think it's 50? And I'm looking at him like, I don't think so. <laughs> so let's talk to our listeners about how you figure out if a moose is 50 inches. How do you figure it out so that you don't end up shooting a 49 inch bull and get the horns taken away and lose your privileges and everything. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, Travis is a big proponent of our scopes. We use a night force scope and the G7 reticle, any scope that has MOA hash marks. And you have to know what magnification, if you're using a second focal plane scope, is a minute truly a minute. So for us, I think on the Night Force 22 power, so fully zoomed all the way in, a minute's truly a minute. So if a moose, here's a good example. A bull I shot this last year, um, I could have shot any bull, but I was able to measure in my scope. He was, I couldn't get a great range because um, he was in and out of the brush, but he was at least 1,300 yards and he was at least, what was it? He was at least like five minutes or something like there. So I could take a true minute at 1,300 yards, and he, when, he, when I cow called and he looked right at me, he was five minutes wide, five times 13, and do the math, yeah, well over 50 if I needed to, to judge that way. That gets complicated if you can't zoom your scope all the way in, or he's at 433 yards, and you have to pull out the phone and start doing some math, but it gets you pretty close, um, but they have to look right at you. 
I think the width of a moose's head is close to about 10 inches from the research we've done. I haven't really measured that. All the big bulls we've shot, um, when they're looking at you, it's going to be about 28 to 30 inches when their ears are tip to tip. You cow call, they peek their ears up, and they kind of point their ears out to catch all that sound that megaphones right from their antler into their ear. That's about 28 to 30. Inches. Yeah, so if you got that, and you can take that again, that distance again, and make the rack, he's, he's definitely big enough. And if you can't there, count brow tines. And if you're not sure about either, don't shoot it. Yeah, just don't even. So as far as legalities go, we've got the 50 and 3 or 50 and 4, usually for most non-residents. Um, making sure that you're salvaging all of the meat, including the neck meat, and following the regs in that unit, whether you're keeping it on the bone or off the bone. Is there anything else that you can think of as far as legalities go for a moose hunt up here? Yeah, just real quick. A lot of moose hunts, like for where we go, western Alaska, you have to keep the meat on the quarters. you got to take all four quarters. That's from the, the hawk or the knee joint, both front and back legs. Um, all that meat has to stay on the quarter. So... Um, it's a, it's a load, you know, you're not cutting pieces off and boning it out. There's, it's easier to handle that way. You are packing bones out, but I think the, the reason for that is less waste and less moisture and stuff like that. And so you got to pull all four quarters, backstrap, tenderloins, and the ribs. I think you don't need to, I think you can bone the ribs out, but the ribs are, one of the best cuts of moose, maybe the best. So we take a, a saw and we cut the whole ribs out and that's pretty much a pack just in itself for each side of the ribs put together. It's probably 65, 70 pounds. Yeah, moose ribs are a delicacy. They're so good. One last thing I'll say for non-residents in Alaska, you're gonna buy a hunting license for 160, non-resident moose tags 800. And all that tag you're gonna get, I believe, don't quote me on this because you need to read that book, but you're gonna get what's called a locking tag and it's just a metal, it's probably a quarter inch wide thing and it's probably 10 inches long. Sometimes you get an extender, hopefully you have to use that because the bull's horns that you shot is too massive and you put this little metal locking tag somewhere around the antlers. Once you shoot it, then you take your harvest ticket or your registration permit or something that you have and you need to cut the day and the month just like you would any other state to validate that and with those two pieces of paper now the moose is tagged with your locking tag that you bought for 800 you have your hunting license paperwork on you while you're hunting and you've signed that before you've entered the field with a pen and it's in a ziploc bag or you got it vacuum sealed or something like that so it's not going to get wet because you're going to get wet and then you have your harvest ticket or registration hunt cut out so there's a lot of pieces that go into this and a lot of different parts that people aren't used to that get and mixed the up people. yeah they get mixed up convoluted and then if you start transporting moose then you have proxy statements that you need to fill out what piece of moose is your transporter hauling at that time and then what piece is he going to haul next because it's it's not a perfect world where you just pile a whole moose into a super cub and he flies away into the sunset <laughs> are you sure <laughs> yeah yeah i am that would be really nice so adam one thing I don't really remember when we came up, I probably did it, but is there a type of hunting test that you need to take online and have that certification? Some units will specify in the regs that you need to take a non-resident moose orientation course, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's what it was. And you can look those up even if you're not in one of those areas because they give you some pretty good, pretty good info about how to judge moose 
and tactics and meat care and just just kind of the basics yeah cool so yeah those are kind of all the legalities as far as the actual paperwork and all the legal side the whole legal side of it so moving on from that how do you research where to go because alaska is a giant state there's so much land how would you suggest somebody that's coming out of state or even in the state that maybe has never moose hunted before and wants to do a do-it-yourself moose hunt where do they go uh going old school on the forums the internet's pretty good you can pull out some recent information and kind of backdate that um decide if you want to do a i guess you don't really do a walk-in moose hunt but like a place where you would utilize a jet boat or a four-wheeler some kind of transportation or are you going to float or are you going to fly and land on a ridge or somewhere that you have a base camp and hunt out of the biologists from what i've seen in alaska are pretty forthcoming with information um they're not going to give you a hot spot just like anyone else but if you do your information or your research and say hey i'm looking at this drainage or this drainage what's the bull to cow ratio uh how many calves do you guys usually see with cow moose on your survey what's genetics look like there um how many collars you guys have out all those kind of questions you can ask a biologist and really narrow down your search area but you kind of got to figure out where you want to go to start with i would say there's big bulls in all kinds of the states from western alaska to the brooks to around anchorage and stuff like that and a fishing game website has a lot of really good advanced harvest statistics as far as how many days hunted, how you access the field, how big was the bull, how many brows, and how many points, all that stuff. Because Alaska is also very strict with harvest reporting. And if you don't report within so many days after you harvest it or when the season closed, you will not be uh, eligible to put in for draw hunts, which is kind of a penalty. Where other states, if you don't do it, like we never yeah. used to, it's, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it maybe. Or I get a phone call, sure, I didn't duck hunt. But Alaska's serious about that, so their their data is really accurate. Yeah. So let's talk about the pros and cons. How do you decide if you want to do a fly-in moose hunt or a float hunt? Let's talk about the pros and cons of each. So most float hunts, I would say, never done one for a couple reasons, but you're, you're still going to fly in, and you're going to have a drop-off and a pickup point, and you might have Travis access. did a float, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you might have some access in between, but a lot of the logistics on float hunts is you get a drop and you get a pickup. And after that, however many miles in between, however 10, 12, 14 days, you're on your own. Whereas if you get into a place where you just fly into a camp or say you get dropped off in a float plant on a lake, you could you could pay to be moved. You could pay to have a moose picked up early. If you say you shot one on day two, you can have that picked up on day three or four. And flown out so you're not having to babysit that meat and do everything and they'll get it back to a cooler or a freezer um but the biggest thing for me on the float hunt that i've never liked is the river or the creek or something's always going to be in the lowest possible spot in alaska for moose especially you need elevation and you need a spot with some topography some rolling hills and some little draws where you can get up on a bump and you can see and look down into stuff and get that sound yeah. out when you call. And the river is not going to allow you to do that. Yeah, the river is basically, you know, see one within a mile, if that. Most people that I know that have done a float hunt don't leave more than a half mile from the river. So you have to kind of run into one, basically. Whereas if you're 
at elevation, you can really see. You could probably call one in if you see one far away, that kind of thing. But I wouldn't discourage people. The float hunt, you're probably not packing as far. The people I know who do it are going to drop off in a predetermined pickup spot. They're going to a really good area, and they're using like three to four spots in a two-week period that they're going to make camp. So they're going to get dropped off. They might stay there or just start floating. Say they're going to float six miles down, and that's campsite number one because it's got a really good glass and knob a quarter mile away. So they're going to camp on this gravel bar. They're going to have an alternate camping spot. So when it rains a ton and the river washes their tent away, they're going to have a different place to go up on the bank. Then they can walk up to that glassing knob and you want to sit there for three to four days because sometimes a moose might not come in until the next day and they hear that call and it might take them a while to get there as they slowly investigate. So if I was to do a float hunt, that's how I would do it. I have three to four predetermined spots and backups Yeah. and I would hunt it that way rather than just floating down the river and expect to see a 70-inch bull stand off the side and I shoot him out of the raft. Yeah, for sure. Covering a lot of ground that way, but definitely get up and, and leave the river a little bit. Do some calling. I like that. Yeah, the hardest thing about meat care is you got to keep it cool and you got to keep it dry. And it's inevitable that when you're floating down, it's going to get wet. And so every day when you get to the, the say, you, say you shot a moose, right? Yeah. And you're floating it out. You need to get all that meat and you need to get it out of the boat and you need to get it hung up and dry and cool. And it's going to cool overnight and you want that coolness that's, that's going to stay in the meat last throughout the day. And then you're going to have to pack it back down to the boat, put it in a tarp, wrap it up, try and keep it dry out of the rain, and hope that cold sits in there. Just a lot of extra work, it seems like. Yeah. So I'd say the pros of a float hunt is you're going to be in moose country. They're going to be down where there's willows and there's feed. Uh, The bulls seem to usually pull down for the cows. And you might not be packing a moose as far. You could call them pretty close to the river or side slough or creek, something like that. And you can cover a lot of country. You can cover, if it's a swift moving river, you can cover 80, 80 miles. And if you're not in moose, yeah, you could say, well, we're going to move 20 miles down and we're going to find where the moose are. And once we get there, we'll spend the rest of the seven days there and we'll kill a moose. Whereas if you get dropped off in a place and there's not moose there or the, the guys before you shot them out or something like that, mm-hmm. or there's a bunch of bears... You're kind of SOL in that regard. So each each hunt has its pros and cons. So let's talk about then flying in and picking a predetermined spot for a pilot to just drop you off. There's your camp. You're not moving anywhere unless you're walking. What are the pros and the cons to that? So obviously that's what I do because I own my <laughs> own airplane. Um, you're probably not going to find a lot of people that are going to say that I'm not very receptive when I have someone who's not a pilot say, hey, buddy. Um, I need you to fly me into here because they don't know what to look for. How long of a place do I need? How much water can I put tires into? And how tall of a grass can I get a moose out of and stuff like that? There's a lot of figuring that goes into it. So in Alaska, you're going to have an air taxi or a transporter that's going to fly you in. Usually they're going to have predetermined spots for a drop off for a float or a drop off on a ridge. Um... I would say there's less risk on a float plane. So if you said, hey, I'm looking at this spot and I kind of want to get over this way. And I think with a float plane, this lake is a mile long and it looks doable. What do you guys think? Rather than saying, hey, I want to be dropped off on X Ridge right here. Yeah. Pilot's probably going to tell you to go kick rocks. And I don't I don't just have people call me up and tell me where they're going to go. 
So I, and the biggest pro I would say with getting flown in, if you can pick a good location close to where you want to be, a transporter is going to be able to sell you the hunt and they're going to say, Hey, this is, I'm selling the moose hunt for this amount of dollars. It's a flat rate and I'm going to take you in and I have this spot, this spot, or this spot, and you can pick A, B, or C and you can talk to them with the different options and they're the pros. They're, I mean, they want a good success rate. They want guys to be happy and leave good reviews and they know they're charged a lot of money for that and they want to give you a good service and the benefit of that is they're putting you in a good spot hopefully you have some elevation or knob you can get close to within close proximity of your tent and you can get some elevation you can sit there and you can call and you're not moving a whole lot and you want to call those bulls into you cool so as far as research goes you know you want to decide whether you want to do a fly and hunt and a drop off or whether you want to end up floating it and doing a pickup in a or a drop off in a pickup point from yeah an air taxi what else do you need to really research and prepare for when you're moose preparing for a moose hunt well i just gotta say unless you got a buddy in alaska that's got a jet boat or has four wheelers or knows a secret spot that a pickup's going to get to that no one else knows about you're probably getting in an airplane because there's not very many roads and so the biggest prepared thing you need to start saving money because airplanes are ridiculously expensive i know transporters there were some up by toke which has some good moose hunting up there they were 6500 bucks per person i think they're going up i've heard guys over in bethel or eight to nine thousand per person and then i heard one guy was up to like 12 grand per person it's a do-it-yourself moose hunt and you're paying for the transportation that's it so it's not a cheap game like i said it's an investment it's kind of a long-term plan to do the do-it-yourself hunt but they're going to be able to put you into a good spot and that's that's a big part of the research that's your question i forgot what your question was i kind of forgot it's late here the kids are in bed we're just trying forgot to stay awake what was the question your honor we're talking about research so researching the area is there anything you need to do with with maps with so i'll use like yeah i'll use every kind of mapping software i can buy get my hands on dig up look get sent to me i'm kind of a freak about maps i really nerd out on those no, that that's an understatement yeah. <laughs> i do not see my husband anymore because he is always on his phone or computer and every single time i go over like what are you doing oh he's not texting he is looking at maps Every waking minute of the day, I think. Is that accurate? Researching. Research. So you got to be prepared and you got to research. And I'm trying to find, I guess, some kind of honey hole. I'm trying to look at places of act. So for me, I have an airplane that's on wheels. It's not on float. So I don't want to go anywhere near a lake or a river where a float plane like a guy like you could be. Because I never want to see another person. I bought an airplane to distance myself from people. That being said, there's other planes with wheels. So I want to distance myself from those people. So I'm looking on uh, sectional charts for airplanes and different things and forums where other guys are getting flown into. And I don't want to go to those places either. So I need to be somewhere in between. And I need to look at harvest data. I need to talk to biologists. I need to look at maps and topography and see where I need to put myself. So there's a lot of research that goes into it. I kind of nerd out on that stuff. But I really like the preparation and 
when it all finally comes together. So when it comes to maps, what is the best to use in Alaska for your phone? I like Onyx a lot, but I've seen they have imagery sometimes that doesn't meet up with base maps, and so I use both. Um, because we probably have the worst kind of mapping up here. There's just yeah, no Google, service. It's, yeah, Google it's Earth awful. is you're in Google Earth. I mean, you could read the letters on your on your bumper or your truck if you're in the states, but Alaska, it's not very good. So I'd say Onyx probably has the best imagery, but like I said, base maps is going to run a lot of the same features different layers and some of their maps will show places that um, others don't and I'm looking for I want to zoom in after the biologist said okay X Y and Z Creek are good and there's a good bull to cow ratio and there's usually a good recruitment of two to three calves per cow and there's not a lot of predation now I'm gonna get on uh, some kind of mapping software and I'm gonna zoom in and I'm gonna say okay let's look at the grass in the bottom of the creeks and say okay those trails that crisscross in there those probably aren't bear trails. Those are probably moose trails. Now, are yeah. those moose going to be in there in the rut? Who knows? And that's kind of up to you to figure out and cool. go from there. So we use a mixture of Onyx and base maps and all the maps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, free top. I mean, yeah. yeah, any map software you can dig up. I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. So after you've done all the logistics research, you talked to biologists, you picked a spot, you decided what kind of hunt you're going to go on and who you're going to go with. Um, I guess that's another thing. Should you ever do a moose hunt solo? Probably not. <laughs> Go with at least one other person if you can. Yeah. Unless you're Adam who did it solo this year, but we live here, so <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. It was kind of, I wanted to prove to myself I could do it. It's definitely not ideal. I might do it again. A um, lot more stuff you need to bring and prepared, and you really want to make sure they die in a good spot. And I had... I had a sat phone in reach that I could, I called, as soon as I pulled the trigger, I called people and they started flying a bunch of people down to help. And so it was, it worked out really good. One of the biggest things that'll wreck a hunt, I would say is, especially up here, is you got to have a solid hunting partner. And I tell everyone, finding a good, solid hunting partner who's tough and who can hang and is not going to quit fourth quarter and who's mentally strong between the ears is harder than it is to find a spouse. Like it is when that airplane leaves, there's something about people that changes and it's, it's a weird light switch, (laughs) but I've seen it a lot. I've seen it when I drop people. I've seen it when I go with people, your personality and your mentality changes that, Oh my goodness, we're in the middle of freaking nowhere. No one's here. If something breaks, we're going to have to fix it. There's grizzly bears all around us, and we are living with the moose. And for me, once that moment comes, I am the happiest in the world. <laughs> I love it because everything's come together. We got the gas. We got the plane. I got my tools. I got my bear fence. Everything's set up, ready to go. But you got to make sure you get with a good person. Don't go on Facebook and say, I'm looking for a moose hunting partner in two months, and then link up with that guy and go. Not a good idea. I wonder if people do that. Probably. It probably doesn't work out very good. I'm lucky because Adam's my hunting partner and he doesn't really have a choice. But yeah, pick a good hunting partner. Once you get all that figured out, what would you say is the next step as far as preparation? So we figured out the legalities. We've done the research. How do we prepare for this moose hunt? Friends don't let friends skip leg day. (laughs) I'll I'll let Tana touch on the fitness. Moose are big. They're hard to maneuver. 
fortunately for me as a pilot, I get to touch each piece of moose about 50,000 times. And it's a lot of shoulders, it's a ton of back, and it's a lot of legs. And when you're packing moose, it's not a good time to be a weakling, and it's not a good time to have an ankle or a knee buckle underweight yeah. and, and fold. Yeah, I'll throw in my two cents there because this is my wheelhouse, is <laughs> physically preparing for hunts. And like Adam said, you have to be mentally strong between the ears. Ultimately, that is going to pull you through. However, being physically prepared for a hunt is a game changer. I know a lot of guys out there, Adam included, that could probably get away with not training all year and then they're just total beast mode and they go out there and they just do it, but they suffer. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it sucks and he's he's huffing and puffing and he's tired and he, and he needs a rest. But especially if you're a female, and I'm not a fem- feminist here, I'm just using facts here. Men are stronger than women, period. So if you're a female... And you're planning a moose hunt or you want to go with your husband or your significant other or anybody, you should freaking prepare. And not even just women, but men, men alike. Because, Adam, how many times have you, like, not prepared for a hunt and really suffered? Pretty much every hunt before I met you. <laughs> I mean, I just like, well, it's going to suck the first three days really bad, but... I'll, I'll live, you know, and you just kind of suffer through it. And I wouldn't say moose is, is physical the entire hunt like a sheep hunt you know right. it's go 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 you get the you sheep okay strength. we're done moose is more on the back end okay i mean you could easily probably minimum have two days of packing a moose yeah you know you shoot a moose you cut it you get a load out that's one day and then the next day is all packing so you need to be able to have the endurance and be able to lift big loads and there's a lot of talk about and i'm not saying this these are false numbers but there's a lot of talk about like hellacious loads on a moose and we've shot i just did an average we've been a part or shot five different moose up here so by no means an expert but our average is 64.4 inches of those bulls so obviously really high class mature bulls we age a lot of them they're all aged between four and seven i don't know what a moose peaks at but those seem like prime time bulls in their prime and they all had rear quarters that were 110 to 126 pounds probably we weigh everything not before we put it in the airplane probably should but um i just know it's heavy and we weigh everything once we get back and so for tana say tana weighs 150 i do weigh 150 thank you okay tana weighs 150 and a moose is 125 pounds she's packing a high percentage of her body weight out. That'd be like me packing 180 pounds out. I've done that. That's stupid. That's don't don't do that. But they're super big quarters, and if you got to leave that meat on the bone, yeah. you got to be prepared. And we're just trying to give you some realistic facts of what you're getting into. Yeah, if you don't have a lot of body weight on you, and you're not like a 260 pound Hulk like Adam. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you are. 250. <laughs> Don't give me that. Oh, you're 250. That's right. Um, you really, really need to pair, prepare physically. And I prepare differently for a moose hunt than I would for a sheep hunt or an elk hunt. You know, those hunts, you want to be able to have the endurance to go further and longer and hike in 20 miles and just have all the stamina and endurance in the world. Moose hunting, you're not leaving your camp more than a mile. You're not just hiking all day and spreading your scent. You're glassing 
kind of like bears. You're just glassy and glassy and glassy and calling. And you really don't want to travel far because you don't want to pack 800-something pounds five-plus miles, you know, or even two, more than two miles, I would say. So you really need to prepare. And as far as moose hunting goes, I really do a lot of squats, a lot of back work. I need strong legs. I need powerful legs. I need strong back. I need good shoulders. I need mobility. So when you're hiking on uneven surfaces or you're hiking through swamp, that you're not going to bust an ankle or, or bust a knee because the ground is really uneven in the tundra. And you get up on those ridges and there's lots of bumps and there's lots of crevices and then you get down in the swamps and there's water up to your knees and you're just trudging through. So having that strong program is super important just to train yourself physically, you know, start working on that mental stamina as well that you're never going to quit and you're never going to give up. And along with that, nutrition is going to play a big part in it. So you have to make sure you're fueling yourself for that performance, fueling yourself for that recovery because if you're eating junk you know, you're going to bonk pretty fast. And like Adam said, a couple of our moose, I would say two to three days of packing, a a couple of them, the further ones took up to three days of like packing it out and flying it out. So you're spending days just like carrying over a hundred pounds on your back, trudging through. And one of them was uphill for a mile. And that was brutal. Brutal on me. It was uphill for two miles because yeah. we've done up to six miles away from moose camp because I'm stupid and I'll just lead us on a wild goose chase. <laughs> and you should just stay in one spot and call, honestly. But we were doing a big loop and we had good weather. And I shot a moose finally, the big bull I shot. It was 68 inches in uh, 2018. He was two miles from the airplane, but I was able to get the airplane about half that distance. It was only about a mile uphill. You just got to, you can't really, I don't think you can build the mental strength. You get that from just being in bad situations over and over and over again. You realize, you realize the feeling when you set that last load of meat on the tailgate, how awesome it feels. And I know when I get the last load of meat into the airplane and I leave moose camp, just like, yes, I did it. And you know, it's going to suck. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt so bad. But in the end, you just got to kind of embrace the suck fest, you know? Yeah. And it's all part of it. And I... I don't know if I'm just weird between the years, but I like packing meat. I like the pain of it, and uh, I do too. You've d- you've done it, you know. You, now you just gotta just get it out. And moose is one of the best meats you can get, man. It is good. So yeah, overall, have a really strong program preseason, off season. I mean, we train all year long, and I really do a lot of strength based stuff, strength endurance, but also balance and stability and core strength is super overlooked. If you don't have a strong core. Your back is, you're going to throw your back out. You're going to have hip problems. You're going to have knee problems. You really have to have that strong base of, of uh, stability and balance in order to build your strength and then build your endurance on top of that. I can't tell you how many people come to me that are just doing a bunch of random stuff. And I'm like, what is the purpose behind your training? And they're like, I don't know. So, there should always be a purpose behind your training, a why for why you're training that way. Because like I said, a moose hunt is different than an elk hunt is different than a sheep hunt, is different than a caribou hunt. They're all different. Um, so as far as preparing, just stay fit. Do you think you're tough? Go take two 60-pound sandbags, put them in your best backpack that you're going to use, whatever X brand it is, and then go to the bed store and try and walk across waterbeds <laughs> and then jump from this waterbed to the next waterbed. That's, exactly. what it, that's literally what it's going to be like. And if you can do that for a mile... 
And you're G.I. Joe? Well, then props, but probably not. It's going to suck, and you need <laughs> yeah. to get ready for that. Yes. So, along with that preparation of being physically fit and preparing yourself for that kind of suckage, <laughs> what are some things that you need to prepare for as far as having the right kind of gear and the right kind of equipment for a hunt? Because, like you said, you get dropped off in the middle of nowhere. You can't, like, call somebody if something breaks. You can't just leave like whenever you want because you get stuck with weather. So what are the top things that you need in order to make it? Yeah, it is it is daunting sometimes and you just you gotta just have some guts and go because the spots I'm going into I don't have friends that can bring me parts or bring me a spare prop or hey I broke a gear leg come I mean they would have to throw it out of an airplane packaged up that's the only way I thought it would work because we're going to some really technical spots that it's a helicopter's pulling you out so there is a lot of things that go into it we don't necessarily have a gear list we could write one up I'm not a Excel nerd or anything like that maybe I should be I could um, write one Tana could write one up and thing. stuff that's she's a maker of lists we wrote down Top five things, though. My number one would be, so moose is, we like to hunt the pre-rut a lot, just like elk hunting. The bulls aren't going to have cows. Once they have cows, man, it's really hard to pull a bull away from a cow. And we've we've watched them from two miles away. They'll hear the call. They'll pick their head up. We don't know. And finally, once we're done and we're flying moose meat out, I'll look down and he'll have two cows laying by. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Now, we never saw the cows stand up, but now it all makes sense. So my first one is going to be an oil can, and I'm talking about, I use a one-gallon brake clean can. I buy brake clean in the, by the gallon for cleaning the airplane and stuff. But if you get like a Dello 400, any kind of one-gallon thick plastic oil can or whatever, and you're going to cut the middle of the bottom out where it's kind of recessed, and I just take the top cap off, and I don't worry. I've used purple ones, white ones, black ones. It doesn't matter. If you spray paint it, the paint's just going to come off. Um, But I use that to rake spruce trees and brush with, and it sounds super plasticky and weird, but the moose love it, and it just echoes, and it sounds just like a moose paddle raking, and they just have that weird concave shape, you know, where it just sounds almost like plastic when they're rubbing. And then you can use that to really echo a call, and that's going to really carry sound out for cow calls. Uh, I'm pretty much 100% in Sims waders. If it's not wet, it's going to be wet. Even if it even if it doesn't rain and you're just walking the half mile to your glassing knob and you go through alders, any kind of it seems even like rubber rain gear is going to get water pushed through it. Sims Gore-Tex waders. It's like a five layer Gore-Tex. It seems to work good. Yeah. Um, you want good Sims boots. Uh, I got good swirl binos. It's a lot of glassing, and even you think a moose that weighs 14 to 1600 pounds would stick out. Sometimes they do, but sometimes you're just catching the tip of an ear or an antler. Um, we like the Wyoming saw. You can pretty much do a whole moose of the Havilon, but I like the Wyoming saw, especially for the back leg joint. Just makes it easy. I'm not like a doctor like Travis. He can just whip that thing out in the first cut. He'll find the joint. And I've done it before. The Wyoming saw just makes it easy. Uh, your and cut for the ribs. Yeah, for the ribs especially, you need that. Um, I've done five or six moose on just one blade. I need to get a backup blade, though. <laughs> um, and then probably the Barney's pack. We use the Barney's pretty much exclusively for moose up here. And it's an external frame pack. They're probably the only downsides. They're a little heavier, eight and a half to nine pounds. But when you 
can just open it up and you don't have to think where you're going to put your stuff and you just throw it all in there and then when you get a moose you pull a light load of neck meat out on your first load and then after that you can just do one after another and it's an external frame I did my first year with just a frame it has an elevated meat shelf so the bottom of the say rear quarter is going to be at your mid back so that holds that weight nice and center in your back but now I just use the bag that's with it and I believe it's the Yukon it actually has a separate zippered shelf in that bag that'll do the same thing and it's the only bag I think that's on the market that's going to take a full 60 plus inch bull rear moose quarter and actually fit it and even then yeah. it's hard to get that to go in the in the bag itself. I have something to say about those packs so I'm 5'5". Five five. I don't care about my weight. I'm 150. <laughs> kind of strong, I guess. 150, five, five. I cannot pack over probably 80 pounds in any other pack that I've tried. I've tried them all. All of them out there, pretty much. In a Barney's pack, I can pack 120 pounds. It's going to suck. it feels like... 70 to 80 in another pack. There's just something about those packs that are incredible. So I bought one of their shorter ones and kind of got it built for me this year. And man, that thing is just amazing. It's like I can just pack an extra 50 <clears throat> pounds on that. And they're amazing. Get a Barney's pack if you are. And yeah. If, just just got to say. <laughs> if you need to pack heavy stuff, Barney's is the. Yeah, ticket. it's like boots. And you see every other day on Facebook, multiple different hunting pages. What boots should I get? What pack should I get? A lot of different opinions on packs, but I gotta say this: Barney's is aluminum. It's welded. You don't break welds very often. I've packed thousands upon thousands of pounds of meat in mine. I weighed 186 pounds of caribou. I did a mile across the tundra in cowboy boots. That's a stupid move. That pack with water was probably 205, and I did it, and it sucked, and it hurt, but I did it. And you got to think about okay, so you're you got a mile to pack a moose out. Got a 120 pound moose quarter. You're not doing the full mile. You're going to have like predetermined spots because you did that first trip out kind of light with all your gear. Now you're coming back with just a pistol and water. You're going to say, okay, we're going to get to that tree, you know, that hooked over tree right there, that weird looking spruce. That's 300 yards. When you get to that 300 yard mark, you're exhausted. Your legs are jello. You need to stop for five to 20 minutes or longer and you're going to take that pack off. Are you always going to set that pack down gently every single time? Because you got eight trips coming out, and you got four rest stops. That's 32 stops. Every 32, every time you do that, is that pack going to go down nice and gentle? Probably not. I kind of sling mine off and dump it as I fall over on the ground as I'm exhausted. <laughs> if you don't have the external frame, not saying it will happen, but it probably has a higher likelihood of breaking. Now, when you only get to bring one pack on the Super Cub because your weight limit's 60, 70 pounds, you're not going to bring two backpacks, and now your backpack just broke. How are you going to haul the moose quarters out? you got to be thinking about not, this kind of stuff. I just will not haul a moose in anything but a Barney's, period. I will not do it. <laughs> I've tried. I won't mention the packs I've tried, but Barney's has never failed me, and it's just I can just be so much stronger with the Barneys. It makes me feel like Superwoman. Basically. And we are not sponsored, but call <laughs> no. call Kevin. He runs Barneys. Super legit dude. He'll talk. And he's, he's not biased. He has all the top manufacturers of packs at his place. But when you look at what the guides are running, and you still see Barney's packs that are 20 years old up here, still packing moose quarters, 
when we first moved up here, we're like, yeah, that's that's the real deal. <laughs> that's the one. So along with the gear that you mentioned, I want to throw in that you should have rain gear. If you aren't wearing waders especially, make sure you have a couple sets of rain gear. But we usually wear waders because we're not hiking that far. I can hike in my nice guide boots. I don't remember what kind they are, but they're decent. They're not like the best hiking boots ever, but they're good. Especially for that swampy stuff, you need waders. Or those two sets of rain gear. And I always have a dry bag with warm layers in it. Because I'm a cold body. I'm always cold. So I have my warm layers, my puffies in a dry bag. So those can't get wet or soaked with, you know, a beanie and some gloves and hand warmers. Stuff like that. Uh, Just giving a a man's perspective here and a woman's so that you guys can kind of take those or leave it. Um, So now that you have kind of all your gear and, and your list and everything planned, let's talk about getting to the hunt. So... You can't just bring everything you want. You can't just bring, like, all these stoves and all this amazing food. And, I mean, you could, but every airplane, no matter what you're in, whether it's a Cub or a 185 or you're in a Beaver, they're going to have a weight limit for you and say, you can only bring this much gear, so you really have to pack light. Adam, what are some of your tips when it comes to getting your gear within your weight limit? Well, yeah, I need to be a better at that rule because everyone that goes with me, aka Tana, always just brings all their stuff. And <laughs> I did just 50 pounds this Just kind of married to them, so you got to pack it. <laughs> uh, a few tips I've heard from people, buddies that go wear your stuff, wear your boots, wear your hunting clothes, um, wear your binoculars, put your shells in your pockets, all that stuff, because they're, they're going to say you got a 60 pound limit, you know? Not including your weapon. Your weapon's using it in a cub and you're going in a gun scabbard on the wing strut. And so you got 60 pounds in a duffel bag. If you can wear a lot of that heavy stuff, um, you can help cheat the system there. The smaller the airplane, the less weight you're going to be able to carry per person. The more trips it's going to take to get the moose out. It's going to be a little cheaper. Like a super cub's not going to cost as much as it would per hour for it to have on beaver. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get into a lot smaller area if you need to. Um, just pack light pack as light as you can yeah it's hard with moose but yeah you just got to really evaluate and try and find stuff that's going to serve a dual purpose you know we use a kuyu four season tent and it's not a huge luxurious moose camp with a wood stove and wall tents and all this kinds of stuff and we go in pretty light and tight and hunting isn't a vacation for us it's pretty miserable and a lot of times I'm sitting there in the pouring rain in a swamp in the tent i'm just like man you love it yeah i know (laughs) so yeah pack as light as possible make sure that whoever you hire gives you a weight limit and you start weighing your stuff and i'd say the biggest thing for me is food because i love food i love good food i can't just eat a bunch of freeze-dried stuff unless i've made it homemade because i have a lot of stomach issues so i do mostly dairy-free gluten-free so i kind of like make all of my own stuff weirdo carry all (laughs) heavy (laughs) i carry all of my or i make all my own stuff but a lot of times some of those fresher foods also carry extra weight so here's what you start doing your planning and prep what do i need here's what you need you need candy jerky (laughs) i bonk on day one if i just eat candy you need (laughs) you need candy jerky five hour energy shots and peak refuel that's it no, don't listen we, to Adam. I'll do a whole backcountry list. That's my pretty much <laughs> my moose setup right there. It's a lot of snacks, a lot of snacks, and uh, we pretty much switch. Not sponsored again to peak refuel from other 
food. Like it used to be straight Mountain House. Mountain House just wrecks you after a couple days. Peak refuel actually looks the package on the outside. The picture looks like what you open up and see on the inside. And it's so good. I mean, it's so good for reference, the little oxygen absorber thing in there. I got so desperate at Moose Camp, I'd open it up, and I'm so pumped to eat at night. I'm so hungry. Ask Tana, I would lick the cheese off the oxygen absorber thing, you know? And they're, they're super good. Yeah. And, yeah, you can bring them in. We used to bring a jet boil and stuff, and we were doing a lot of peak stuff, um, eating those throughout the day. Because there's a lot of downtime on Moose, especially if it's super hot. They're not going to be up moving and be pretty nocturnal. Or if it's super windy and rainy, those bulls are going to lay up and not move at all. Yeah. So now you're in camp. Let's say you've got everything planned out. What are our top moose hunting strategies other than gaining elevation? Yeah, so you got to get to the elevation. Where we go, we're not necessarily walking in the dark pretty much. I don't yeah. like to run a headlamp because we're right in moose. We've had moose walk right by camp. Tana killed her bull 300 yards from where we camp. I mean, we're right in the moose. If you're at a place where you got to get to a glass and knob, be at that glass and knob at first light. Those moose are nocturnal. They're going to rut all night, especially if the moon's out. It's going to be cooler, and they're just going to be doing their thing, and you need to be there at first light. So if that means marking a trail or cutting a trail in where you need to go to be there and walk in the dark, do it. Because you need to be there at first light. And also, I think I love the first part of the day, but I think moose, that last two to two and a half hours is just a magical time frame. And you can't be afraid to run down there and kill the moose. And don't say, oh, it's too far, or oh, it's going to get dark, or oh, we might see a bear. Just go, you got to have the mentality. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to go down there. We're going to kill that moose right now. And we're just going to run down there and we're going to do it. And obviously, don't do something you're going to get yourself killed. But that's why we pack the puffies. You could rip the guts out, you know, come back the next day and start cutting it or just cut all night, you know? Yeah. And we spend pretty much all day on glass. We see the most, obviously, first light and right before dark. So, yeah, we do hiking in the dark and out. But but in the rut, those bulls are going to be moving. It's yeah, like a white tail. They're chasing yeah. and stuff. And, you know, we hunt earlier in September, but later in September, you start to hit more of that peak rut. Mm-hmm. And um, those bulls are chasing, moving. And you just want to find a bull that's transitioning. And a lot of times you can see them with your naked eye before you even need to pull the glass up. Just because it's like white sheets of plywood walking through the brush. You see it from a mile away. So you're saying I shouldn't go back to camp and take a nap in the afternoon? No. But I will be a huge advocate of naps in the tundra. Tana is terrified of taking naps outside for whatever reason. But a good tundra nap. A good Yeah, bears. But a good tundra nap is something you shouldn't pass up. In the middle of the day, have some snacks, have a little tundra nap. Because if you're going to stay in moose hunt for 12 or 13 hours of daylight, you're going to be walking in the dark. You're going to be getting minimal sleep. You might have already packed out a bowl so you're sore and you're tired and you're pounding the leave as much as you can. And you're going to need some rest. Yeah. So usually when Adam naps, I'm glassing. I just, I don't really nap, but that's just me. So make sure that you're just glassing all day. Stay on the glass as much as possible not going back to camp or just hunting mornings and evenings because you never know you never know when there's going to be a bull transitioning from one canyon to the next or when you'll see one from a far distance you could get close to maybe on the opposite side of camp that's still within distance that you could pack it so as far as that like should people have a general rule of thumb of i will not go further than this distance from camp yeah it's usually a mile you can be stupid and go to two miles but you got to figure 
you got to figure how many trips you're going to do. So you're going to have each quarter is going to be a trip. The ribs, the neck is probably two. Back straps is one. I mean, you're probably... It's eight trips, four with two of us. Yeah, it's eight trips, including the antlers, not taking the cape. The yeah. cape is probably 120 pounds. Super weird, awkward monstrosity. Not an advocate of doing shoulder mounts on moose. We did pack a cape out once, and then a bear stole it. So that was the last one I'm probably going to do. Um, that wasn't that was for a friend's moose. But, uh, yeah, they're super awkward. I will say also what I forgot to say about research when you're glassing all day, you want to pick a spot that's going to funnel a moose. He's going to be looking from a cow from here to here. You don't just want to say, okay, this lake looks like a nice swamp where I saw a postcard. It looks like a moose should be sometimes. <laughs> you want to pick where there's going to be feed, where there's going to be cows, where the bulls are going to pull down and they're going to come down to find the cows. And when they find the cows and those aren't hot and they leave, they're going to go down this way and funnel through here and you're going to see them. And then they're going to be another drainage over here you can also see from your glass and knob. And there's three or four creeks that come together and work down towards a bigger river drainage. That's what I'm looking for of where the animals are actually going to be transitioning. Not just, oh, this looks like a good spot. Let's land here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so don't go more than like a mile or two from camp. We're crazy and do two. Some people are crazy and I know I've done like five and that's just, I won't won't do that. Some Actually, people call them right to camp. Some <laughs> yeah. guys go every year and they don't leave camp. They just call a moose yeah. to camp. They won't even And leave. they shoot it. Yeah. Yep. And you can do that. When the moose gets hot, they call the thing right to camp and they whack it right there. Yeah. So, now what? What if there's a moose on the ground? Like, what do you need to do from there? What does the aftermath logistics look like from the minute you shoot a moose to when you walk up on it and you realize... What the heck did I just do? <laughs> did you see the size of this thing? What did I do? What are some tips that you have for the aftermath? So, just to prepare yourself, it's kind of like a Clydesdale horse, one of those big Budweiser horses laying on the ground with 50 to 70 inch antlers. Um, it's pretty mesmerizing. It's pretty cool. I would say, yeah, it's probably like two 300 inch elk, two big body 300 inch bulls laying next to each other you know if you put the butts of them laying next to each other that's what it's going to look like so you got a lot of work ahead of you um the first thing you got to do i would i would get your tag and stuff on it take your pictures we've never shot one late at night i shot when i wounded it so we we backed out and it was a good thing because i think it died the next morning um because it wasn't super stiff when we found it um if you shoot one late at night and you go over there minimum i'd say rip the guts out don't try and just prop it up for a good picture for the gram i think that's pretty silly when people do stuff like that um and you got to think of all the internal heat that animal had especially if you shot it and then it ran 300 yards and you shot it again it just built up all that heat inside now you've left that heat minimum dump the guts cut some alders stick them in there wedge it open get some airflow anytime you're going back into a kill i mean you gotta just we've had a lot of bear issues bears are like coyotes up here they're just on everything and there's tons yeah. of them so you just got to be prepared for that um i pack a pistol with me now in the backpack so when we shoot something it's going on me in a chest holster and the rifle is going to be upwind so at least i can hopefully escape towards the rifle but always have the pistol on me um and then we're pretty much 100 percent gutless on the moose we take our pictures um i'm bringing 10 game bags i bring four of the 28 by 60 big game bags and they're all work good kuyu tag bags caribou bags pristine ventures i've got them all i probably a thousand grand of game bags sitting in the garage right now it's just a thousand grand <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's getting late. <laughs> it's way too late. I, I probably got a grand of bags just sitting in the garage, um, and I've lost quite a few to bears and rips and stuff like that. But I bring four moose bags, and then I'm bringing six elk size bags, and that's overkill for like the neck meat and stuff like that. But I'd rather have a bunch of smaller portions that I can move around, and then I know the ribs are gonna go um, in one of those elk bags, and uh, each quarter has its own bag, and so you're gonna want ten game bags. That's a lot. Uh, I bring a Does couple that include sets. If you want to take the cape, though. I'll bring another one. Whatever. Just just more. <laughs> bring a um, lot. You can buy a moose kit. I just I think that moose kit is just giving you like the bare minimum for the 100 bucks or whatever you buy in the kit. Um, I would get four, maybe five moose bags for, you know, four quarters and then one for the ribs. And the ribs suck. They're going to tear the bags. It's just, it's inevitable. It is what it is. Um, and then you got all the other ones for backstrap, tenderloins, the you know, all the scraps, the neck meat is probably 100 to 120 pounds just to hold up that giant monstrosity on top of their head. You know, that's a lot of meat and muscle. And the brisket, there's like 40 pounds just to abs on a moose people don't get. And that's another one you <laughs> yeah. got to take that a lot of people down in the States don't realize. So lots of that. You're going to want that Wyoming saw. If you're not a Jedi at finding the joints, it makes it easy. You can knock some limbs off for hanging stuff up and then get stuff off. And there's a lot of flies. We've tried citric acid. I'm not sure if that... I think we did that last year. No, no we tried that our first year. Tried that year. the first year. It was really hot. There's a lot of flies. Yeah, I didn't mess with it last year. I had it with me, but I just... I had a, a small little like 5 by 8 tarp. And I was able to do it solo with 200 feet of parachute cord. If you're going solo, bring a ton of parachute cord. Maybe a little block and tackle or something. I was able to do the gutless method. Kind of stick the tarp under the butt of the moose and kind of slide it in there so I didn't get a bunch of dirt on the meat and then roll the quarter right off the top of that right onto the tarp and then cut the leg off and then go straight into the bag and then from there you want to elevate that bag there wasn't any trees around I just put it on the willows to get air around it you want to hang the meat as quick as possible and sometimes when you're moose hunting like September is just warm sometimes it gets up to 65 degrees so you just you got to do your best keep it in the shade don't let the quarters touch each other. Put some sticks between them when they're hanging up in the tree. And um, if you're if you're not super restricted on the weight, try and bring a little bit of a bear fence because that podcast I was listening to that I referenced, um, those guys going in with the the antler restriction, they uh, I think out of two bulls they shot, they came out with just like two or three quarters total from bears. Yeah, bears just got into it, and then multiple bears find it, and it's just it's a free for all. Yeah, they'll they'll drag them off. We had one do that and try to bury them, and that's what stinks. Is if you can't get them all out in a day, you're you're just kind of sleeping there, like oh, I hope my meat's there tomorrow, because you can't always pack it out in a full day. You have to let them be, but that just happens. Our bear fence goes around the airplane. I'd rather keep that airplane safe. My ride home. <laughs> yeah, and we uh, a lot of people complain about this, but after the meat's cool and everything, we. The bags are breathable, so they're going to leak blood into your pack. And if you're staying for the unforeseeable future to fill another tag, or you don't know what the weather is going to be like, or you could get rained in for three days, or the fog at moose camp, you don't want a ton of blood over all your stuff. So we'll take that already cool moose quarter, we'll put it into a, con- I'll actually put the contractor bag in my pack, and then I'll have Tana help me slide the moose quarter um, into the backpack, and that helps it slide in there. It's in there for a short time. We get it to the next spruce tree where we're going to hang it or stage it, usually well away from our camp, at least three, 400 yards. 
and then we'll hang it up and then you can reuse that contractor bag and keep some of the blood off all your stuff. Yep. We've never had any issues with that. Never lost an ounce of meat either. Yeah. And then as far as salvaging, you want to make sure, obviously, you take all the meat out first before the horns. That comes out last. And when it comes to meat, take everything. If they can find, like, what is it? A soft, yeah, a softball, softball size, size of meat. meat. You're going to get a ticket. Yeah, and uh, if, you, if, it, if you blew the shoulder apart, if there's guts, if the bear's got in it, take, take your phone out, take a video, document it, say this is the day, this is what happened, this is where it is. We take videos and pictures of all our carcass, and we've had to walk troopers uh, into our moose kills before, and they said, yeah, you guys did a great job, and ideally that's what they want, um, but for me, if it's bigger, if it's a piece of meat bigger than your thumb, I'm, I'm cutting it off to try and salvage, and you owe it to the animal and stuff too. And then the antlers come out last. That's twofold to keep people from just whacking the moose, pulling the antlers out, and then coming back three days later say, oh, a bear got on my moose. I couldn't pull the meat out, but I have the antlers. It's to keep you proactive to not be a trophy hunter, but to, to focus on the prize, which is the 600 pounds of finished meat you get off a big bull. And then also when you pull those antlers out, that says, I am done. So you can't go and the fish and game shows up and say, oh, well, I still had more to go. And you say, well, your antlers are out and they're next to your campsite here with all your quarters hung up. Obviously you were done. Yep. Yep. So pack the thing out, get a hold of your pilot and get him to come pick it up as soon as possible, especially if it's warm out so it doesn't spoil and get bad. And if you don't want to carry or take all your meat home, there are many nearby villages, you know, research that, ask around, most likely the pilot or somebody's going to know who you can donate the meat to. There's a lot of people in the communities and villages around here that really appreciate the moose meat. So if you don't want to take it all home, donate it. You could feed a lot of people with one moose. If you're going to do that, don't be a prick. Take care of the meat like you would if you were going to put it in your family's mouth because there's a lot of people I've heard about that don't honor the meat and they just like throw it in the dirt and get it dirty and stuff if you're yes. if you know you're going to be giving it away treat it like you would would be putting it in your mouth so those people are going to be happy to accept it but yeah villages usually are not going to turn down moose meat and stuff like that um there's expediting companies that can help with the shipping and stuff like that i don't i think it's like alaska trucking express guys will get their meat flown or alaska expeditors is that another yeah i don't know there's no dnc DNC does skulls, but there's one company that comes up with a reefer truck. They hit a bunch of places in Alaska through August and September, and they bring your meat and, I believe, your antlers back. I'm not sure they can bring a raw skull that hasn't been bugged or boiled yet through Canada. Um, But they put everything in there, and then they do a big loop in the lower 48, and they call you up once that's happened. And we had a buddy, um, I think he did that route, um, and we rough cut his stuff just off, got it back to the hangar. And we rough cut it and put it into big fish boxes, and then he just flew a bunch of that fish box meat home with him as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to do it. Alaska Airlines is pretty friendly. Just call them, talk to them, and research on forums and expediters, and talk to guys who have done it before. Yeah. So hopefully that gives you guys some good ideas on how to research, how to do the logistics, the legalities, the preparation, actual hunt, and then figuring out the aftermath of how to get everything home and how to you know button everything up from hopefully a hunt of a lifetime. And just to, you know, close this, Adam, I want to ask you, what is, like, your most wild story or memory that you have with moose hunting? Is there anything that just sticks out as that really sucked or that was really amazing? (laughs) What is your top experience? Probably the the first bull I shot, he grossed book. He was, like, 229 or something. 
It's a hog of a moose, um, like 21 or 22 inch wide paddles, six brows on one side, four in there. Just a, just like a dream bull. I mean, I, yeah, I'd like to break the 70 mark, but this bull was just a tank. And we did a six mile loop calling and um, all kinds of stuff. And we finally spotted him. He was so far away, I didn't think he was that big. And I didn't realize he was close to 70. And I was telling Tana, kind of him and Hodge, like, what are you talking about? That moose is huge. We need to go down there and kill it. And like I said, we had two hours left of daylight. We ran down there. And I don't even think we had two hours. It was like an hour and a half left. And we were a few yeah, miles we, away. We ran a few miles and just covered country. And tried to stay as high as we could so we could actually move pretty quick. And in Alaska, you're never going to find hard ground. Everything's soft and uneven, and it's just horrible. And uh, we got close, and one tip I'll, I learned from experience is the cows really don't start calling until like the 12th or the 15th. And so I tried everything just to kind of get him to come, and I was just kind of, he was 600 yards away. I was trying to bring him closer, did a couple bull grunts, couldn't tell if he was grunting. I raked some brush, he raked some brush, and I was okay, well. It was getting dark, so I needed to make something happen. And so then I let a couple real soft cow calls just... And uh, he picked his head up, turned around, and was full sprint out of there. And was like, I'm gone. And at that point, Tana's laying down the range finder. She's like, he's running. He's running. And I go into panic mode. And she had the she had the range. I think it was right at 600, 590 or 600. And it's kind of like yelling at the mule as he goes to the top of a ridge. Sometimes you get like a last chance looking back. I was laying down on the gun. He was walking straight away. And at that point, I knew I really messed up because moose just looks so much bigger when they're walking away. Do not judge a bull for 50 when he's walking away because he could be 30 and he looked huge. <laughs> and I gave one last super loud, came up off the gun, Hail Mary cow call, and he turned broadside just perfect for me. And I zinged one, rushed it, and pulled a little far back. And I hit him once. He ran. I shot him again, broke his neck on the second shot. I didn't know. And, um, and then I think I missed the third shot and I shot a couple more. It was pretty much a cluster. Yeah, it was a cluster. I hit him two or three times. They can take a pretty good bullet. Um, but if you put it in the lungs, they're going to die. And we let that one sit and it was probably a good thing because I hit him in the guts and eventually he went three, 400 yards and died, but it was hard to track him. And it was just such a whirlwind of emotion from not sleeping to, okay, we found some blood. Okay. We lost blood. Okay. I have no clue where we're supposed to go. Do I get in the airplane and start doing circles and looking for birds? And I'm just going to go walk down this way and see if I can find a better way back. And there's my bowl. And it just, it was all kind of, it was all kind of surreal. And what I still remember, one of the coolest parts is we got everything done. Everything was hung up. And I just look at my wife and like, man, I knew we were in deep. I look at Tana. I'm like, so what do you think you can pack here? So I can do, I can do at least a hundred. And I was like, man, that's when you know you got a good one. Cause she said, I can do at least a hundred pounds. And she packed like a boss. I think we, the first trip we each took a rear quarter and, uh, she didn't stop. She didn't even, she doesn't even sit down. I did so. two stop. What do you mean? <laughs> she doesn't I stop. Near, stick she doesn't even stop as much as I do, but yeah, <laughs> but take thanks. a lot of rests. And Thank once you. it's all done, take your time and finish strong. Yeah. That was probably mine. What's your most awesome moose memory? And we haven't done this very long, but we sure sure enjoy it and try and get out as much as we can. Yeah. Um, obviously, my first moose up here was pretty cool. I I think I had pneumonia. I was pretty sick. Do you remember how sick I was on that hunt? Looked like death. Yeah, it was our second moose because we brought a friend up. He had shot a 69. It was a day or two later after we packed it out. I was pretty much on my deathbed. Couldn't breathe nothing uh i was just like i have to get a moose because i feel like i need to go to the hospital but i 
<laughs> I'm just going to be stubborn and I'm going to stay out here till I get a moose. And actually earlier that year, our good buddy, Scott Lee, passed away from cancer. And he was just, he always loved moose and moose was kind of his thing. And so, I don't know, something about that hunt, just like, I felt like he was there, you know, he was there watching us. Oh, yeah. And kind of a minute when I was thinking about him, I was thinking about Scott, I was thinking about, you know, just the awesome guy that he was. And we look back and there's just this beautiful bull. And it was like, yeah, it was, it was a godsend for sure. It came out of nowhere. We didn't know where it came from because it was on the other side of our camp where we had just come from. Walking away, looking for cows. Yeah, and it walked over the ridge, and we didn't see it again. I'm like, shoot, it's gone. Like, he's not going to come back, because we called him, he just walked away. And then he just, like, turned around and came back and started walking right at me. I'm like, what? Is this, is this happening? <laughs> like, that bull just walked over the ridge, and then it turned around and came back. Either Adam let out some call that he finally heard, you know, well, God said, Scott Lee, like, whatever it was, it was incredible. And I had to sprint uphill to get in position to shoot this bull. And with my sickness and pneumonia, I could not breathe. Like, I (laughs) was hacking up a lung, running up that hill. But I'm like, I have to get this bull. And I shot it at, I don't know, 450, what was the? 452. 452. 452 yards. And just dumped it in its tracks. And it fell 300 yards from our tent. Like, it was... Not a bad awesome. pack. It was a godsend. I couldn't really hike very much. I was pretty sick. So that was kind of a cool experience because it it was our first hunt, you know, first moose hunt in Alaska. I was with Adam. You know, our friend Scott had died. We've been talking to about him the entire trip because he just loved moose and he would have loved nothing more than to do that with us. And lo and behold, beautiful bull. And it was a nice bull. It was like almost 65 inches, just under 65 not huge paddles or anything, but just very symmetrical, really long points, beautiful brows. It's just a really nice bull. So that's just one of my cool experiences. But this year I'm looking forward to it because I'm planning an archery moose How hunt. do you talk about your plan this year? What is your plan? Since I do I all the research. I don't really have a plan yet. Well, what do you want to do, <laughs> do for moose? Like, what's that's your, why I did this podcast to kind of motivate myself. What's your myself? goal? Um, my good friend Alicia Zemlka is going to come up here and do an archery moose hunt with me. Calling you out, Alicia. She's never been in Alaska. I'm like, here, let's do it. I think what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to call her in a bull first. Let her be first shooter since I've already killed a moose. And she's flying all the way up here to do it. I want to call her one in. Get her on video shooting a bull archery if possible. Later in September. Yeah, and if we want to be crazy, I'll go for a second one. And and we'll try to get two. And then just Adam will be our slave driver. Plan on taking him in and... uh... Probably going to have to go for at least 10 days in Alaska. We try and plan for 10 days and hope we have five decent days of hunting and hope we can pull it off because there's a lot of weather and logistical delays and just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, so hopefully it's a good time. We're planning on a 10-day archery hunt. We'll both have tags in our pockets and we'll just see what happens. And we're pretty set on archery, but if need be, I will throw it on the bow. You know that. Yeah. Except on the bear hunt, but... I will throw it on the bow and take a rifle shot if I see a monster that I can't get close to or can't call in. So we'll see what happens, but it should be quite the adventure. Well, we'll cut it off there because we need to get to bed. So thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Hopefully that answered a lot of your questions and you're able to plan a do-it-yourself moose hunt in the future. If you have any more questions, feel free to reach out to us. 
you can reach out to us basically on my Instagram because Adam doesn't have it anymore. He's just fed up with the influencers. I'm off the gram. <laughs> He's off the gram. So message me at Tanisu underscore fit or stuck in the rut. And we've been more than happy to help you out or steer you in the right direction. If you have a an area that you're looking into, but you're concerned about pilots, we know pilots all over the state and transporters and stuff that we may be able to steer you in the right direction. So Yeah, I just want to close. I don't I hope we didn't sound too negative. I just want to give people the real deal experience from a resident's perspective, but also kind of from a do-it-yourselfer's perspective coming up here and had to figure out stuff on our own and just do our own research. And hopefully we can shorten that learning curve for you. But don't want to come across as too negative. A do-it-yourself moose hunt, totally obtainable. Trav, Tom, and Tana's dad went up and in eight days shot three bulls over 60. So there's, there's plenty of moose in Alaska. They're super fun to hunt. And they're just, they're unlike anything that we've ever hunted it's really incredible but very obtainable and uh just get out there and do it heck yeah that's it for today everyone thanks for joining us if you like the podcast please leave us a review and also reach out to us with any questions until next time